and the nurses were like, what like, the heck is going on? Right, the nurses. I'm going like, to go out on a limb for the listeners and say, I wouldn't exactly confuse you for this. <laughs> And welcome to the Compassionate Achiever Podcast. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chris Cook. Hello there. How hey, are you? hey, hey. How are you doing, Tracy? I'm doing good. Really good. Yeah? You, you uh, having a good week um, so far? Yeah. A crazy kind of busy week. But um, I was just saying, I woke up. Talk about, and I think everyone can relate to this, even if you don't get migraines. I, oh, I got up, oh. got the dogs out, you know, fed them, whatever, went, made the mistake of going back to bed. I literally woke up, thank goodness, because I hadn't set an alarm or anything, uh, 15 minutes before I was supposed to leave the house. So there we go. I'm sure, you know, all the students, professors, professionals, anybody, housewives, anybody can relate to that. Like, uh-oh. Like, yeah. yeah, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, feel like crap, but gotta go. Let's do exactly. this. You Holy know, cow. so yeah. So we're here, and I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Another podcast. I love this. When and we do and it. the guest today is one of my favorite people on campus. I see her. She's always at graduation. And I bounce into her office, and it's so funny. As you saw when we went to go visit her, you know, I want, wanted to ask the secretary if I can go in. And I don't know if you heard her yell. She goes, "Yeah, he can just come in." Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't so, give him a big head. <laughs> don't. So she's one of those fun people you can have just great conversation, just be you around. And and she's you know, chair of the nursing department, which is one of the you know top top programs here at the university. And so she doesn't let that get to her head. There you go. Uh, as well, right? So That's true. It's, and it, it's fun. We've evolved with the honors program with nursing. We've evolved to in, make them more seamless together so that, you know, the, the nurses who want to graduate with honors in, in the Kothari Honors Program can do that. And she's one of those collaborators that you can just collaborate. It's, and it's one of those experiences where you don't know where it's going to lead next, but it's a don't know in an exciting way. Right? That's it's, a good it's, thing. Yeah, exactly. That's it's like a good thing. going down a whitewater river, right? right? You don't, you know, there's a turn coming up, right? And I'm going to take the turn, right? But you're not sure what's beyond the turn, but you know it's going to be fun. There you go. Yeah. Well, and for our listeners, let's give a little background. You, Dr. Chris Cook, a political and social science professor at Western Connecticut State University. We, we're talking about the university, but that's <laughs> the one that we're talking about. You're founder of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation, Fulbright Scholar, Harvard Fellow, ex-counterintelligence offer, author. <laughs> <laughs> You had a tough morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling you, this is going to be one of those days. <laughs> but of course, your latest project is writing the book, The Compassionate Achiever, How Helping Others Fuels Success. And I want to digress just a little bit because I want to talk about your latest exposure. Well, well and not we, in a raincoat kind of way. Yeah. Like, in, a, in a good way. Before, and I do have a raincoat today. Ew. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to rain, okay? okay. It's supposed okay. to rain. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, I want to just give listeners a background on you too. Tracy, who's our co-host here, his background in marketing, advertising, and foreign affairs, is also an award-winning uh, winning radio and talk show host. And we've teamed up to interview View compassionate achievers such as today's guests who come from all different walks of life. Um, so, but yeah, the it was really cool. The natural awakenings there. It's a news uh, letter that goes out monthly in every state. And so, um, a publisher in Colorado asked to do an excerpt of the book, 
and the, and highlighted it and highlighted it in in Colorado and she put out word to every other state and so the Fairfield County the Connecticut one published a, a piece to an excerpt from the book but you know what's really cool the person in Colorado I went to high school with oh you're kidding and she's the editor and publisher of natural awakenings out there and the excerpt she took from the book was actually inspired by our high school teacher honors English teacher that we had it was the first time I ever read the plague interesting and Terry Terry who's the editor was in that class she didn't remember that and I said Terry when we talked I said wow it's so wild that you picked that as the the book she goes why I said because it's inspired by our honors English she didn't remember oh she didn't even remember that that was part of it It, yes but then she started clicking for she goes oh my god right so it was a really cool connecting reconnecting story with it so yeah it's a a lot of fun she gave you a positive review another one (laughs) so the book is going great guns I love it yeah it's exciting and you know I'm off to a couple of other places during Christmas break to give talks I'm down in Philly for a little bit to to give a talk on the compassion achiever and and talk about the science behind it and that's right. the real that's the fun part uh, is people think they know what compassion is right and we're our guest today lives that compassion I was just right? gonna say and, I think and it's, she uh, does it in she's done it in the hospitals in, in an emergency in a uh, clinical setting and she's also doing it you know in the classroom and spreading spreading that idea and how to do it. Uh, through nursing, so I, I want to get to her. I want to start talking because we're going to get in trouble. Joan with her. <laughs> Sullivan Paldino, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Really, I was so happy when you did walk into my office and you just <laughs> asked barged to do this. into your office. Yes, <laughs> that's fine. Um, I like that. I feel. <laughs> Like, I'm in that four walls, and I just want to get out sometimes. Sometimes I actually walk out of the office, and I hear students talking to the secretary, and I say, like, do you want to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here, too. I'm just hiding back well, that's here Joan. in my office. Yeah. See, that's Joan. Yeah, and that's I've been good. at other universities where the chairperson of Wants that department. Yeah, that yeah. actually. Yeah. And Joan is, is the opposite. So, here yeah. I am. Right. No, I, really I really like it. I mean, I think as chair, I can do a, a lot of good, but I do miss the classroom and that interaction with the students. I just came from the classroom. I had to cover a class today. Oh, did just, you? So you still have your finger in the pot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I definitely have my finger. I mean, I, I, I will always consider myself a clinical person. Mm-hmm. To go back, I started my nursing career in the intensive care unit. I was 21 Whoa. years as an intensive care nurse. Whoa, wow. 21. 21 and years. And where did you do that, Jen? At Waterbury Hospital. Oh, man. And uh, I really loved every minute of it. One point, I said to myself, I want to do something different. I started teaching and found from the minute I started, I loved it. So I went on that career track, you know, went on for further degrees and doctorate, and so started teaching, and I just loved teaching. But I also like being with the students. I still like to get into that clinical setting. I can never just turn it off. It's always going to be a major mm-hmm. part of me. So so did you find that difficult um, in intensive care? I'm, I'm assuming that you lost some of the patients as well. Oh, sure. And sure. in yeah. a setting like that. How do you set yourself, not to go dark right away, you know, we're only five <laughs> minutes into the show, but let's just start dark and then yeah. we'll go brighter. Why not? Well, um, we started with migraine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started off with whining. Uh, I, I, I have to <laughs> figure out how to describe this show when, you know, in the little, when Pete asked me to send a description of the show, I'm just going to say the dark side. The dark side. <laughs> and yeah. then into light. From dark into See? light. We got Joan. Yeah. All right, so guys. No, sorry. it's sorry, true. Joan. No, it's true. But how do you prepare yourself 
for, I mean, obviously you're, you're doing everything you can for a patient, mm -hmm. but when you do lose them, mm. you, I'm sure, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I have a friend that was a um, oncologist and he said, you can't take that home. If you took that home mm -hmm. every day with you, that, you know, then you would be a mess. And it's one of those things you have to put your mask on first before you help those others. So how do you prepare yourself for that? Whoa. Well, it's a, really a self-preparation in some ways because you, you can't really prepare for it, um, which is why, like in nursing, there's so many different avenues for nursing. But really, no matter what avenue you go into, you're going to meet some type of human distress. Mm -hmm. And that's, you can't even teach this compassion to your students, but you have to prepare them. What I found over the years is, is that um, you just have to keep in mind you know what the outcome could be because that is an outcome and two things happen with that is while you may lose a patient you still have family so in some way you have to you know we all live and there is death and that's a fact of life so how do you prepare people for that as a as a nurse um for many years you're right yeah and college is right you can't take it home an example i could work all night Traumas come in. I was a surgical ICU nurse. Jeez. You know, you, you can be mm. with a Some parent who's things. lost a child all night. Mm -hmm. But at 7.30 in the morning, I'm getting two kids on the bus. <sighs> and that's the reality, and it's over and over again. The bigger question is, how do you keep that compassion and, you know, desire to help people and be able to turn it off without getting desensitized? Mm -hmm. um, right. which goes into the compassion fatigue. And that's the trick with nursing is not to desensitize yourself to it, to be able to deal with it and go home and live your life. And there are times, there are times I have to pull over in the car because something struck me. I can vividly remember one time when, you know, there was a particular accident that had happened and um, it had happened a while ago, but, I, you know, I knew the family and here I am in town, it's a Saturday morning at the ATM, I turn around and there's the woman. What do you do? Luckily at that point, somebody came in who she knew better and started talking. But you can't just turn it off mm -hmm. because something's gonna remind you of it. And the other key to that is, how do you deal with your own? We all have things in our own life. And sure. then you're dealing with other people and it kind of intermixes and you have to learn how to deal with that. So how do you, we, one of the things we like to do on the show, and I don't mean to put you on the spot like this, but we like to give listeners tools of how they can handle some of these same situations. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you need to prepare yourself and you need to prepare your students, your, your mm -hmm. nurses in training. How do you tell them to prepare? I mean, how do you do that? Generally, there's no book for that. What I like to do is, and I used to, when I was clinical, we're one of the few schools, like, take, we have a lot of clinical experience in this program. They actually go into the ICU. So what we find we, we do is we have them journal a lot. Mm -hmm. And I used to pick up things in their journal and try to talk to them about it. They're so focused, and rightly so, in the student phase on the studying, the taking the tests, the passing. But when we can talk about in our seminars these other issues, and everybody will deal with them differently, and everybody will pick a career in nursing, depending on what they can do. But one thing I 
say as well, some, like you say, in ICU or ER, you might see more traumatic events. Any type of health care, you're going to see people in distress. So how I teach them is to tell them is you're always going to find people in distress. And you just have to keep that in your mindset and how you deal with them. People always like the smiling face. They always want to have somebody say hi to them and appreciate them. And I try to explain to nursing students that you may walk into a room and nobody seems like they appreciate you or they're not smiling. But you have to understand that behind that, they're going through a lot. Mm -hmm. So that will help them get through the day of understanding it's not them. I always found that um, if I'm really having a, a situation, something hits me head on, I usually try to you know, take some time for myself, like you would any situation. Mm -hmm. But then try to get out my day. You cannot let the th your work, as you were talking about your oncologist friend, let it impede your normal practice because what's going to happen is as time goes on you're going to develop that compassion fatigue and burnout so you have to be able to live your life and also incorporate it given that i have to say it does take a special person i always say not everybody can be a nurse it does and, and, and uh, you know at the end of the day right. so. sure no and yeah, yeah. You, you know you hear that it's a calling and i would mm -hmm. love to get into into that yeah. and one of the things that as you know i go around give talks and i've been to uh, a lot of different um, hospitals uh, and talking specifically mm -hmm. to nurses um, because nurses are on the front lines and, and even in my my experiences with my knees and getting operated on thank God for the nurses um, they were the ones that look you in the eye they're the ones that actually know your gender without actually having to look at a at a, a, a clipboard you know I've yep. had a doctor doctor actually come in had the wrong clipboard and called me miss without even looking up at me. All right, and the nurses were like, what the heck is going on? Right, the nurses. I'm gonna like, go out on a limb for the listeners and say, I wouldn't exactly confuse you for this. I, I, I'm just gonna say. He didn't I, even look up. He walked into the room, says, yes. right? He didn't yeah. make eye contact, didn't even look at me and walked out. And, and the nurses were like, we're sorry. We're sorry, Chris. And I was like, that's okay. Thank God I have you. Don't yeah. let him in without you guys. Right. Right. <laughs> the nurses. Exactly. Without, I, whenever I saw a nurse, I was like, okay, I'm safe. <laughs> I'm safe for a while. But they but are the front line. They as are. As you said. And, and one of the things, and, and Joan, you know, Joan um, doesn't, doesn't know about some of my research on this, um, that, that when in the nursing literature in the 1980s, this is where the phrase compassion fatigue came out of. Yes. Right? And so now neuroscience, um, specifically Dr. Tanya Singer and others at Stanford, have shown that that's what we're finding out in neuroscience. And, this, and I'd love to have your take on this, Joan, because you've had the practical experience of it, that when they do studies and MRIs and functional MRIs, they're noticing that it's not compassion fatigue. If anything, it's empathy burnout, that people are actually having the same feeling as somebody else, and that's empathy. And when you think compassionately, you're actually not having the same feeling as someone else. You're having this kind of 360 degree understanding. So you're removing that same feeling. So when someone's distressed or someone's down, you're not absorbing that. So compassion is kind of stepping back away from that feeling. I call mm -hmm. empathy emotional quicksand because it can just get you stuck and bring you down, right? And if you can think compassionately, right, that it, Singer, Dr. Singer has shown, she, her work is amazing, that when we think compassionately, we, we use different neural circuits 
than when we think empathetically. And when we think empathetically, we're using the same neural circuits as when we're in pain. But when we think compassionately, we think and use the same neural networks when we're in love, right? And then mm -hmm. if you do love right, right? Uh, I see Tracy and Scott all the time, they're doing love right, right? <laughs> that, that it's not a burnout, right? It's, it's actually a build up, right? You feel stronger. And you know, one of the things that you know, I do with um, nurse, nurses at, at different places um, is get into some of those tools. And I do compassion meditation. So I, I run uh, in the morning and then at my, my, my um, slowdown, my, my, my burn down, when I'm stretching after the run, I actually do 10 minute compassion meditation. And that is feeling gratitude. Basically it starts out by feeling gratitude to someone who loved unconditional love for, for you. So the first time I ever experienced that, for example, I, for me was my grandmother. Mm -hmm. I, my, whenever I, whenever I, I wanna feel gratitude, I picture my grandmother. Uh, and she's a superhero. She was a warrior. She was everything. Um, when I grow up, I want to be like my grandmother. She's amazing. Just an amazing person. And um, well, she was. And uh, when you start thinking of gratitude, it actually, and the people who have this unconditional love for you, it builds you back up, right? And, and you can then slowly have self-compassion for yourself. But I wanted to get um, your sense of that. If, you know, uh, so empathy is having the same feeling as someone else. Compassion is having kindness towards someone else. I'm really simplifying it in, in shorthand term. But when nursing, I think it, there is this special type of person like you. And it's, I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to you too and we have fun <laughs> together that you do care. It, it's obvious, Joan. You care about your students, well, you care about your patients. And can you see that difference between empathy and compassion? Oh, definitely, okay. definitely. Um, and we do, I mean, empathy, you can't, you can empathize for a short time, but if you are doing this as a career, and like you said, you see this over and over, and you, you can't, you have to step away and just think about the situation. You said a, a important word, kindness, like the compassion, you have to understand human feeling, but you can't feel for them. Mm. You have to understand what they're feeling in order to give them the tools to help them. And that's usually what I try to do. I mean, I've had to develop this over time is kind of quickly assess the situation because people need different things. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that they need different things. And sometimes it's actual logistic things that I can help them with. Other times it's just being there. Mm. Sometimes you just have to be ready on the spot, you know. And Joan, if mm -hmm. I can... Just interrupt you for one second. I think this is a perfect time to jump back into Luca. I know that we've talked about this on several different shows, but lots of people haven't heard the other shows. So, can and you mentioned like two parts of Luca. So, can you just quickly run for us? Yeah. So, Chris Luca is a four-step program for developing compassion. Uh, and so, the shorthand is the L in Luca stands for listening to learn. Mm -hmm. Right, so not listen to reply, listen to learn someone's situation and, and tro completely understand. Just right? what you're saying. Exactly. Like, right. That's what Joan listen does. Listen to the patient or whatever. You this, know right? what I mean? yeah. And then you is understand to know. You have to understand to know what you need to do in order to help them. Right. So you listen, you understand, and then C is connect to capabilities. Sometimes you're not the person that has the capabilities to resolve the problem, but you need to connect them with you know, nurses, other nurses, right. or doctors, doctors or, or other organizations. So you connect to capabilities. So listen, understand, connect, and then finally, A, act to solve, 
right? Make sure that if, for example, if you're connecting them to somewhere somewhere else, that they are actually going to that to that place, right? right. And making sure that they, they connect. So Luca, listen, understand, connect, and act. And you know, in the book, we, we talk about we three different chapters for each one to develop those skills on listening, on understanding, on connecting to capabilities, and on acting to solve. And nurses, you know, as Joan was saying, have to do. Have I'm gonna snap my that. fingers. You have to like, do that in an instant. Right? It's gotta right. come. It's got all gotta right. just collide together because there's only so much time you have in some situations. Mm-hmm. So you know, when it comes to nursing, man, you gotta weave them together mm-hmm. in, in an unbelievably fast and really smart way. Uh, in many way. situations, you're right. You know, you just have that split second. You have to figure out what am I gonna do here? What am I gonna say? Sometimes you have the luxury you know, of knowing it, um, depending on what's your situation. My situations sometimes have been very quick, you know, but I think that's where experience comes in, though, too. You're using both things. Mm. I always say with nursing, you do want somebody who knows what they're doing, have that, it's <laughs> called intelligence, knowledge of the skills, but you also have that emotional intelligence. You have to have emotional right. intelligence to deal with your own emotions. Yes. That's why self-care in nursing is so important. You have to be compassionate to yourself in order to be compassionate to others. Mm-hmm. And a lot of nurses forget that because we are doers maybe, or we're gonna help this one or that one. I actually took a long time to realize it. I'll be honest with you. I did this for a long time. I literally was out of school less than a year when I went into ICU. So, I mean, here I was dealing with tragedies. The really hard stuff, yeah, sure. And over time, you know, things happen. I have kids, things happen with them. So. And there are times, there are times when things mesh with your personal life and what you're seeing, and you just have to realize that. Um, you know, do you tell people to compartmentalize those things? It's hard to do that. Yes and no. Not necessarily question. compartmentalize, but <laughs> understand it. Because you can't just compartmentalize everything. I have to be able to. Um, I could take something as simple as you know, my kids growing up, okay, now I pretty much was in ICU right away. So now, I don't know, maybe they're in middle school. A neighbor told me they, uh, you know, your kids go down the hill, they take their helmets off. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I said, of course I called them on it. Well, if you weren't an ICU nurse, you wouldn't care. I said, I don't think so. So (laughs) as simple as that, they were looking at my work Okay, but then it gets into more detailed things. Um, you know, just to get a little personal, you know, I, I, you know, started teaching, and then I realized with teaching, first of all, there's compassion in that too. Now you're bringing students into the clinical setting, so now I got to look at it through their eyes. Okay, so I love that teaching role. It helped me understand things a lot more. Okay, so a few mm-hmm. years ago, uh, suddenly I lost my dad. It was kind of a, a sudden thing, so it was very traumatic over a couple of months. So. And I'm dealing with the healthcare system, and I'm the knowledgeable person. And then I did go back to work in the hospital a month later, and the first thing that happened was a horrible accident. I was a supervisor, and a family lost their father. Mm. And you have to be the one to tell somebody these things. And so close to home. I hadn't done it in a while. So I was like, hmm. So, and as I'm walking into the room, you know, the woman was astute. She knew, and she says, I know what you're going to tell me. So. Somebody said to me, how did you know? I said, I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to say in that room. I knew what I had to say, and it just comes. 
And a lot of situations happened. There were kids involved, and you know, the whole night I came back very. That was a kind of a night I had to reflect. Two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, I'm getting a hot dog at a hot dog stand, and I turn around and there's one of the family members standing right in front of me. So we had a conversation. You asked me, "What do you do?" At that point, you 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 know how are things going. So there's no playbook for this. Mm-hmm. There's no playbook. But like you said, understanding the situation, and sometimes it's a split second. Right. Experience does help. Mm-hmm. Because on the other hand, that night you were talking about logistically things to do. There were things I could offer, but there were things I couldn't. Right. And I had to know who to go to, and there was little logistical things that were gonna help that family, and I had to make sure that the right things were in place, you know, like transfers to their hospital. So at the same time, you're doing those things. And I think that's just what nursing is, and that's the part of nursing you can't read in a textbook. That's the part of healthcare you can't read. You called it connecting. We have a different term in nursing, which is the same thing, it's called collaborating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have to collaborate with those who can connect the dots for people. And that's people. part, it's one of the chapters, yeah. actually. Okay, okay, yep. Collaborating, coordinating, yep. and cooperating. So, right, so there's different yeah. ways of, of connecting. Right. Uh, that Breaking it down like right. that. Right, and it matters mm-hmm. how you do it in different settings and in different situations, context does matter. Right. So, yeah, you can't compartmentalize. I could not do that. I had feelings from how my raw emotions from the last month, and it certainly played in here. Right. Did I go home exhausted? Yes. And then you said you took that time in, to think about compassion and you meditate. However you want to call it, meditate or think, I think all nurses need to do that, especially after a difficult shift, a difficult time. Whether you call it meditating, whether you call it recollecting, you have to take that time to process. And it doesn't have to be that long. No, no, it doesn't. Actually, the healthcare in general has recognized that in certain, unfortunately, they're just doing it mostly in things like an ICU or ER situation where horrible traumatic events, they do a thing called debriefing. I'm not so sure it's really debriefing or what you're saying, you know, just going through a situation and how... It's supposed to be meant for the healthcare workers. The situation that occurred has already occurred, and the outcomes have already occurred. But how that healthcare provider, and why that's important is if they don't deal with it, it's gonna affect them later on. Patient mm-hmm. outcomes have been linked to nurses who have that compassion fatigue yes. or are not compassionate anymore. And they may be very knowledgeable, they may give their meds on time, everything else might be right, but if you don't show compassion, Patients' outcomes fail. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's, there's quite clear correlation yeah. between the health provider and the lack of compassion or empathy fatigue, yeah. right? And if there if there's empathy fatigue on the healthcare worker, the um, recovery time it, for somebody is a lot longer, right? They take longer to recover than when the the healthcare worker is has compassion. Has compassion. And what's really am- amazing for me is, you know, I, I was. T- brought up basically by my grandmother, right? And so you're always, I'm always told to say thank you and hold the door open mm-hmm. for somebody. But in, when I was in the hospital t- being taken care of by the nurses, and then every once in a while being visited by the doctors, I want to make sure that's clear. <laughs> I was being taken care of by the nurses, right? And that I would say thank you to nurse. And one of those nurses actually turned around and cried and said, thank you for saying thank you. I think there's many of us who go into the healthcare sector somehow. It could be an accident. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, a surgery, and we forget 
the people who are helping us through that journey. And a simple act of gratitude changes the whole dynamic. It's so important. And, and, and we need to do that. Mm-hmm. We, and and those, those workers and the, the Jones of the world who are there over midnight handling, you know, tragic incidences and then maybe something less tragic on my end, but still bad for me. She's been through, you know, trying times and back already. And then she's got to step up or he's got to step up, right, and, and help us out. And the simple thank you of when you're going through it make, can make all the difference. And I still see some of those nurses. And, you know, we hug in the grocery store or, or wherever we, we, we find each other. Hot dog stand is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? And, you know, they're, they're the, the compassionate achievers in my mind that we see every day. And just that simple act of saying thank you, I think. And just being appreciative in general, too, that, I mean, you can show that in other ways, too. I mean, of course, thank you is, you know, that's paramount, but there's other ways to show that you are appreciating what they're doing. So how do you identify a nurse when you're having your students go through this program and, and I'm, I don't want to pin you. <laughs> it's an intense program. It's like the yeah. best very, in the country. I was just going to say, and you, this program is really known for being one of the top programs, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. and I'm not just, you know, building you up. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you mentioned the other day when we were in your office that there was a person, and certainly I'm not looking for details or whatever, but you said maybe she shouldn't be in nursing because you weren't sure that she had, well, she was very good on the book side, like you said, you know, but you weren't sure that she had, I'm going to go out on a limb, the compassion to do it. How do you identify that in a student? Well, usually in the clinical setting, you can see that a lot of times through their journals. I think in the office, I was mentioning a student who I self-identified as not having compassion. Right, you're right. She yes. self-identified Thank you for at it. And, yes. um, and, and what I meant by that was is there's a lot of things I can assist students with. Like I just you know, had a student come up to me. She's concerned about finals. I said, you know, relax. I can help you. But when somebody self-identifies like that, or you see that, it's, it's very difficult because that has to come from inside. What I can do for students is identify the importance of compassion. I, I do try to tell students, well, you, I know when you're in school, you're looking for that test grade and you're looking for your skills, and they're very important because that's just as important as compassion and caring. Compassion and caring and the knowledge are all very important. But unfortunately, when we go into the workplace, there's no real NCLEX score that's going to measure your compassion, let's Mm -hmm. put it that way. A lot of times it's picked up, maybe on a job interview. A lot of times if somebody truly doesn't have that compassion towards patients, it is picked up on a job interview. And I think a lot of managers might shy away from it and people might wonder, hmm, I wonder why I didn't get hired. But... That's something that has to come from within. Mm-hmm. All you can do is counsel people, but unfortunately, I mean, it's out there. There are people out there who are less compassionate than others, and there's nothing we can really do to change that uh, unless, for some reason, there's a line that stepped over. It's, it's, it's unfortunate, though. The other thing to remember is some people may have started out that way, but their life circumstances 
and the job circumstances that they've seen have changed it. And they do say, an example is they've identified, and you might have found this in your studies too, Chris, is the work environment mm -hmm. has changed people and contributed to that compassion fatigue. Not necessarily them, but staffing, the overload of work. Over, I was just gonna um, say overworked. The mm -hmm. interpersonal. You, you were just talking about thank you before. In a different sense, we just had that discussion in the class I was just covering, because it was leadership. And they did a lot of presentations, and the, the presentations involved conflict in the workplace, um, delegation, which is very hard for a new nurse. And in the day, I mentioned this before to them, and I also mention it when I'm teaching RNs who are coming back for a degree, is the word thank you. You say thank you to someone, and at the end of the shift, because they've helped you, it goes a long way. And that helps the work environment, and at the end of the day, it helps your feelings and your compassion. And theirs too, right. and theirs mm -hmm. too. So when you feel like you're a team as opposed to a just team, right. working individually and trying your hardest and but if you're all in it together if you're all in it together then it it helps you to develop that compassion again mm -hmm. it certainly changes your mindset mm -hmm. that's key it is key right? it's, it's what how you think leads to your behavior exactly right? and, exactly and we when you think compassionately your behavior you know, becomes that kind of behavior, comes, becomes connected to others. We are highly interconnected. And when I hear someone say, you know, I, I, I rose up all by myself, that is a total lie. Someone opened a door, right. someone, you know, provided you with an opportunity, someone, no one has done it all by themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and it's one of the reasons I, I love doing the show with you Tracy other than you're a blast and you're intelligent and you you have some great questions it's that you also you connect and and, there, and it's instinctual with you and I wish more people would get that connection and nursing it's so important I, I remember you know I've had I, I'm gonna knock on wood right now <laughs> right <laughs> because <laughs> because I've had one nurse that I can say I wish I never had go back to, because of the lack of compassion, the lack of connection. But I've had the other 99 out of 100 mm -hmm. have been absolutely awesome. Like I would want to be best friends with them. <laughs> right? They're the yeah, right. right. They're they're the people who do care, who do see the connections, who who want to go that extra mile. And so to have Joan on this show is not only great for me to as as a friend. I consider her not just a colleague but a friend. But also her line of work, I think, attracts those type of people. But they're the, also the type of people that do have empathy burnout, that have empathy fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is a certain type of person that's Who wants to, to this. go into that? True. Well, another reason you know you can avoid that is we're all human beings. If you work in an area, you have to learn how to process it and think about it. Because to ignore it isn't good either. You right. can't just mm -hmm. say it's going to affect you how you let it affect you. And, and to say that it's not gonna affect me and try to put that wall. So take the minute to go in the back room and cry. If you need to just get out of it, just do that because mm -hmm. you have to do that. And there are times it just comes on and that's where it's nice with coworkers because we all have our times at different levels and different times. So it might be affecting me at one time, it's not affecting someone else. One thing that makes me a little sad about the healthcare system and once in a great while, I'll go in the hospital as a supervisor. I don't have the time in this role to do it, but is to see that 
I think there's a lot of compassionate nurses out there that don't portray that because of staffing and just overload and overwhelm. And I see that more now than I did when I was mm-hmm. a nur- you know, nurse starting out. And I hope we can see changes in that because the work environment, more than the person themselves, is changing that. You know, there's just so much mm-hmm. the human mind can take. Right. It just so. And I want to just flip flip the tables here too. And I appreciate those kind words, Chris. Because, and it, since we met, I felt the same way. I was like, that guy. I want to do something with that guy. <laughs> like, it, it just no. When I heard you speak, and we've talked about that a lot before, but I think as patients. Um, I think we also need to be compassionate yes. towards the nurses and say, just as you mentioned, Joan, you know, they could be having a really bad day. You don't know what's going on behind their life as right. well. Or as you mentioned, you know, I mean, I don't know how some of these nurses do it. Working these 12-hour shifts and whatever, oh, I'd be a mess by the end of that thing. I'd be like, get out of that bed, don't you? Like, <laughs> I, so, I, I mean, seriously. Right, so that, thinking about Joan's kids, right? right? Yeah, right, exactly. Pretty, pretty yeah. Sure. That, I mean, and this, you know, this was nothing. I had my knee replaced, and I met some of the nicest nurses in there. And that's what I'm saying is, you know, they had been on these shifts for like 12 hours, and they were so nice that, you know, they were like, no, you know, don't push it too hard. Don't push it too hard. You know, if, if I were on the, the other side of that, I got to tell you, I might not be so warm and fuzzy. And, you know, I would be um, just, I, I'm, a, I'm a pusher. You know, I mean, my kids will be the first to say. Let's clarify that. Yeah, I okay. know, exactly. Exactly, oh, sorry. But I am too. <laughs> no, yeah. But I, I really, to to a fault, and I do this with my kids, and especially when I see other kids, like, acting up or whatever, you know, and I'm going way back. But I'd be like, you know, don't you do that. And you can, you know, come on, get up. Uh, like the time my daughter broke her wrist and I was like, oh, oh fine. Just, oh, you know, snap. come on. Three days later. I'm the same was, way. Are you the same I'm way? I'm the same way. I'm so glad yes. to hear that. And you know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't. Okay, so. I'm leaving. Yeah, I know. Exactly. It was really bad. And I've done it a number of times that, you know, I, I thought they had the flu and it skirt turned out to be, you know, Scarlatina or something. They're like, we should have had him in here, you know. It's like, oh, well, you know. But I think that as patients, we really do need to look at the other side of things, too, and not just Mm -hmm. assume that the nurses are always the ones that have to be compassionate to you. It's a relationship. You have to give it back to them, too, be compassionate towards what they're going through. So, and, their, and their leadership, too. That's in the literature now a lot. If they get it from their leadership, mm. the compassion, and that's important. The trickle-down. The trickle-down mm-hmm. effect. The interesting thing, remember I told you you do that 12-hour shift or whatever you do, you go home and you have to carry out your life. The other thing people don't realize is, is the families, and, and nurses do this themselves, they don't know what the nurses went through. My, nobody knew what I did in my family at night and come home and you go on. So you don't get that. I did my dissertation on supports new graduate nurses felt in their first year of working. And I was really looking at supports from their orientation, their coworkers. And it was qualitative, so it was open-ended. I was very shocked at this, but one young nurse, 
responded when I said, so do you feel support? Like I was looking, you know, after a shift, he goes, no, I don't. So I was taken aback because I was looking at it from her coworkers and I was kind of hoping she'd say yes, but she was talking about her family. She goes, my family doesn't know what I did mm -hmm. when I go home. What I go through. So they tell me they had a bad day. They don't know what a bad day is. And I don't mean that nurses are that work hard, but their bad day is a little different mm -hmm. than most people's bad days in the sense of what they see day in and day out. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting that she had that perspective only six months out of school. True. Yeah. So, and I, I think, you know, so nurses, we've talked about in society because of the wars that we've had, right, in Iraq and Afghanistan mm -hmm. of PTSD. But I think there's also a lot of that when it comes to our first responders. I'm mm -hmm. not just talking mm -hmm. nurses, but I'm talking fire personnel, police personnel, right? People who see it on a daily tragedy, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And there's new literature out on PTSD, and it's um, post-traumatic growth. That, right, when you talk to, and I, I was really introduced to this by one of, the, um, one of my colleagues uh, in social-emotional learning, Scarlett Lewis. Um, I'm, I sit on her board of directors and we do a lot of different talks together in K through 12. And she talks about what happened after she lost her son, Jesse, her six-year-old son in Sandy, mm -hmm. Sandy Hook tragedy. When she read PTSD, you know, she was, thought she had to be downed, right? She had to, you know, she talks <clears throat> about how you don't go back to the same place you were at, right? That's, to me, I think that's common sense, right? But that's a surprise to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. But she goes beyond. And she calls it post-traumatic growth. And other and there's research on post-traumatic growth now that you can bounce back from something, right? Not in the same direction you came from. In a different way, that helps you grow. That makes you stronger. And, and for me, I, we're, we're looking at that in the role of compassion and self-compassion and compassion meditation. And I think... You know, as Joan said, at the end of a shift, you know, for me, it's when I get up in the morning, it's my reset button. Like, okay, I had a tough day yesterday. It's a new day. Mm -hmm. I'm going mm -hmm. out and I'm going to give him my best compassionate shot that I can right now. And one of the ways I do that is not only I do the run, but do the compassion meditation that helps me reset. And I can feel my whole body just settle right down. And I'm like, okay, let's clear it. I can do it. Restart. It's a, it's yeah. a compassion jump start. Right. And, and I think we discount that that 10 minutes I think that it takes to do it gives me so many more hours in the day where I feel like I'm more productive mm -hmm. right and not down and we're afraid to take those 10 minutes but not even the 10 minutes I mean we've talked about this even a few breaths you yes. know four yes. Uh, yes four just a good you know, cry just a good cry right all of that right so, Joan, I want to be respective of your time. Chris has a, a question that we always ask. Um, we'll do it. There's no right or wrong answer here. So, go ahead. All right. Do you consider compassion a value, virtue, or verb? Value, virtue, or verb. And I would yeah. have to say all of them. Okay, why? Well, okay, yeah. well, it's a value because you need it for life. When I live a value, okay, you... You know, what do you value in life? And I think if, if we all value compassion, what a world we would have, right? right? But especially in my line of work, I think it's definitely a value and a virtue because people who possess comp compassion and give compassion to others 
are virtuous. They, they are a step above, mm-hmm. okay? And it's a verb because it's something we do. It's something that we do. You that see why I love answer. her? Yes, I was just going to say, I can absolutely. Joan, it's been so terrific to have you on here. Joan Sullivan Paldino, head of the Western Connecticut State University Nursing Program, one of the best I know. It's had all kinds of accolades. It so has. Kudos it has. to you for leading that charge. Well, I, I have to say, there's no, um, you know, nursing is a team. There's no I, you know, it's not an I. <laughs> We have one of the greatest faculty, greatest students, but really the the nursing department is what it is because of the entire faculty and the team and support from the university. So, well, yeah. thank you for being here. You've been a wonderful guest, and I just want to make sure that the listeners know you can find us at compassionateachiever.com. You can tweet us at CompAchiever or Compassionate Achiever. And uh, be sure and find us at WCSU Media. Thank you so much for coming, John. And we hope that you have, and I know you have this episode, received a lot of tools to help you unlock the compassionate achiever within you so that you can unlock success. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.